A thesaurus is the is the book you use when you can't figure out how to spell the word you wanted to use in the first place. <laughs> What's that quote? I don't know, but it's brilliant. Welcome to So Psychological, the podcast where two friends investigate the world of psych. All the analysis, none of the professionalism. Welcome to So Psychological. I'm Lizzie Blake, and this is my co-host, Misplaced Malevolence. That's Mrs. Placed Malevolence. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm definitely feeling some malevolence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This episode, we will be talking about season one, episode two, The Spelling Gugabee. The Spelling Gugabee. The Spelling Gugabee. Uh, All righty. Well, let's jump into a quick recap. We begin this episode by meeting a new detective in Santa Barbara, Juliet O'Hara, who, by the way, accidentally steals Sean's seat in a diner while she is waiting for a suspect to enter. This, definitely a meet cute. Definitely a meet cute. Then we jump into the episode's flashback. We see Gus in his own spelling bee as a preteen, and it looks like Sean is trying to help his friend out by telling him the next letter. However... After saying the suggested letter, Gus is immediately eliminated. So now fast forward to the present. Sean returns to the office to see Gus watching the B semis, where one of the contestants, Brendan Vu, falls ill. The police suspect sabotage and Psych is on the case. They begin psychically reading the remaining contestants when the spellmaster, Elvin Kavanaugh, topples to his death over the balcony. Due to the spellmaster's poor health, the police are ready to call it an accident. But Sean's not convinced. So Sean turns to his dad for help. Henry agrees to help on the one condition that he completes an unfinished childhood project. (laughs) A doghouse. This scene also includes a little flashback to the original request to make a doghouse, saying that uh, if he gets a dog, he needs a doghouse. Houses. Doghouses need dogs and dogs need doghouses. The plot thickens, and Sean becomes even more convinced of criminal activity when Sean's run off the road, and Gus discovers that the doctor listed on the inhaler of Yuri is fake. Yuri, one of the contestants in the spelling bee. So, worried that a murderer might get away before they know for sure what happened, Sean begins looking for a new angle and realizes that the spellmaster suspected Yuri's father, Miklos, of cheating. Thinking he has enough clues to piece everything together, Sean publicly accuses Miklos of cheating by using a fake inhaler and murdering the spellmaster to cover his tracks. But he has no evidence. That is, until Juliet admits that she had the spellmaster's food checked for poison. Miklos is arrested for cheating and murder. The episode wraps up with Sean and Gus talking about the bee where preteen Gus was eliminated. Gus claims that he's totally over it until Sean reveals it was intentional sabotage, thus reigniting their friendly, seemingly eternal feud. Finally, Sean toys with a little bit of revenge on his dad. After completing the doghouse, he convinces him that he got him a dog to reside in the newly completed doghouse. Sean walks away in this moment, reveling in his dad's discombobulation. Well, I mean, dogs do need dog houses, and dog houses need Needed dogs. dogs. <laughs> this, this is exactly the point. All right, so there's going to be a lot to talk about with this episode. But just how this episode begins 
shouldn't we also begin with this new character, the girl who stole his seat? Yes! Who is this seat-stealing woman? He left his juice and Crawly Snake right there. <laughs> right there. I mean, all right. <laughs> so, Juliet, now this is actually an in important introduction, and there's going to be a lot we learn about her just in this very first sequence. I mean, besides the fact that she doesn't feel the need to complete the straw wrapper crawly snake. Yeah, it seems that she is very clearly trying to focus and not be distracted, but it also seems that Sean has other plans. Well, I mean, if she didn't want to be distracted, she did choose the wrong person's seat to steal. Sean's distracting. Absolutely. Uh, he's got charming character. He's persistent to engage her in nonsense. Exactly what I was trying to get at. Sean is completely unwilling to allow her to focus in this moment, even when she explains that she can't talk right now. So he just says, well, can I carry on the conversation by myself? Yeah, and so this is where we get to meet eighth grade Jules for the first <laughs> time. I mean, this is a voice that we become very accustomed to as the years continue, and I find it hilarious. Uh, but at the same time, I have to wonder... Like, is that really what an 8th grade girl's voice sounds like? I don't remember sounding like that uh, when I was in 8th grade. Yeah, no. No, that is what a boy sounds like when they're poking fun of an 8th grade girl. Yeah, yeah. Well, and actually it is Juliet who ages that. She says, why do I sound like I'm in the 8th grade? Um, and I don't know why it sticks out to me, but it, it is funny that it's the final straw. Ah, pun intended. <laughs> That gets her to engage. Yeah, and I get why that gets her to engage. I honestly think she's a little offended by that voice at this point. Like, she's not a child, nor is she childlike in any way. Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? She's someone who wants to be taken seriously for who she really is. And this is actually one of the attributes that we see drives her character. Yeah, so when she calls him out for this portrayal, he then turns around and starts asking more pointed questions. Smarten it up college top of the class and she gives very subtle responses to this but we can see through those subtle responses we get we get a more and more clear picture of her that she's smart she's competent she's driven but we also see in that moment that she wants to be seen as that as well she wants to be acknowledged for those things all right so go ahead and give me a quick profile of who you see her as beyond just these things okay so right off the bat i mean it's obvious she's beautiful but I also don't feel like she allows the fact that she's beautiful to either accentuate or detract from her value in any other right. You know, we see that she's driven. She also wants to be taken seriously. But we also see in this moment, she seems to be really kind and gentle. Like this crazy dude just marched in and accused her of seat thievery and is engaging her in a conversation. And she's lovely and kind about it. Yeah. But even at that, a lot of times we want to we pigeonhole people. So even if she is lovely and kind, those are not her only attributes. So she's loving and kind and driven and smart. She's articulate. She's composed. Even in this moment, we see her be composed, even if she is kind of a little bit intimidated in her first big moment as a detective in Santa Barbara. And I also want to point out, she may need a lint brush for that cat hair. <laughs> I'm sure it was put there for dramatic effect. But that was a lot of cat hair. 
Yeah, I'm trying to remember if in the commentary they mentioned something about the amount of cat hair that they use. That they use, yeah. Uh, because it's just extreme, it's isn't just, it? It, it is, it's a little extreme. So, and then we also we also see in a later scene um, in the press, press conference with Carlton, I liked this one as well, because you see her kind of take over the 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 narrative that that Carlton is is using with the press because she doesn't feel like he's being kind and considerate enough and 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 I think that shows a lot of who she is as a person again she's confident willing to stand up when she thinks something is right and once again we see her being kind and really people focused people oriented yeah to the point that she actually cuts carlton off in that press conference doesn't wait and ask his permission but she takes yeah. a lead even she's, though she's very new in this position yeah she she's totally gonna gonna stand up because what she feels is right in that moment is caring for the people and she's gonna stand up and advocate for that so how about you what what would your portrayal of jewels look like well i think it, it i think it would start with hi sean i'm jules <laughs> No, no, sorry. I would agree with your assessment. I mean, I think we can look at moments in this episode that prove just that, right? You mentioned she's beautiful, and yet, and she really is, and obviously being set up as the potential love interest for Sean. Yeah, right? the me cute. Total right there. And yet, what does she wear the most often? Uh, a gray pantsuit. The gray pantsuit, the professional classic, right? So she's not hiding her beauty, but it's not what she wants to be accredited for. Like, she wants her skills and ability to be valued for their own worth. And she wants to be taken seriously from the get-go in this position, without that distraction that you mentioned before. Yes. So she's driven, and we see that in her pursuit of justice, how, like you pointed out, she even goes and gets that food checked out for the poison, just upon Sean's recommendation, even though she doesn't know him that well. I... I love that about her. I think she really goes out on a limb in this case by having that food tested. Yeah. Like, she's driven, and she wants to nab the bad guy. But this also, I think, shows us that she trusts a little bit of Sean's judgment, that she might already be believing that he really does see the world around him and things in a different or special, unique way. Even if she is a little bewildered by his behavioral antics, I was laughing so hard when I rewatched this episode and I saw his response to him having that like psychotic, yeah, psychotic, <laughs> having that. It was a little episode. psychotic though. Maybe a little cray cray, uh, and, and her face just like completely contorts, and she says, "Does he do this often?" Like she's surprised that someone would behave that way in a professional setting. Uh, much less a murder investigation. Right. Yeah, and the reactions by Lassiter and Chief Vic when they're asked that, they just kind of roll their eyes. There's like a little bit of disdain, but also acceptance that this is totally the norm. And I think that's brilliant. <laughs> One more brief thing to mention before we finish this introduction to Juliet is that she's actually replacing Lassiter's last partner as a direct result of Sean having outed them as a couple. Mm -hmm. uh, the commentary includes the creators discussing how much they loved Anne Dudek, who was the actress who played that original partner for Lassiter in the yeah. pilot episode. And she's beautiful too. She's fantastic. So beautiful. But test viewers weren't very happy with the implications of that relationship considering Lassiter was still married. They wanted him to be a lovable antagonist rather than altogether hated. And they could see that going down that path if they kept in that direction. I, I, I think they succeeded then. Right. And wow, I didn't know this. Yeah, and so we get Juliet, who's fantastic, because it gives us a new level of interpersonal relationships, since both she and Lassiter are so independent and different. 
And these dynamics, I think, allow for very real tensions uh, as each of the four characters, Sean, Gus, Jules, and Lassie, all form their unique connections with each other. And so it's very realistic, I think, in those tensions and interactions, and yet still so easily exploited for all, like, the wit and humor and absurdity. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in all, that, all what you were saying about um, Carlton being a lovable antagonist. Yeah. Because, really, one of my all-time favorite relationships in the series is Carlton and Jules. I can't wait till we get to dive into that one and start talking about the dynamics there. Yeah, it's the way that all four of them have unique connections to each other Uh is so beautiful to watch because then they still have to function as a group, but they function as pairs, and then they function as individuals bouncing off each other. It's really fun to watch. It is very fun to watch. Okay, so I have have two quick questions before we leave this, um, this scene where Sean and Jules meet, and... And I'm wondering if these are continuity errors or if 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 I'm reading them wrong, maybe. I'm not 100% sure. But when Sean is reading Juliet, um, he says that her parents are coming into town. They're amazing. They've been married 30 years. But then in later seasons, we find out that her parents are not married to each other. Um, and so I don't know if that was a continuity error. But we also, we don't see her, like, honestly reply to that. She's still, she's very coy in this scene. But the other thing that I saw is, um, is she gets asked if that was the full, first time for her pulling her gun. Yeah, because her hand is shaking and slightly. And she's very shaking. But we also know from later seasons that she was um, like a, a, a officer in Miami, wasn't she? So would this have been the first time that she had pulled her firearm? I don't know. Well, uh, but I know, both of those kind of stuck out to me in this in this episode. Right. Well, in regards to her pulling her gun, it is very likely there are some officers who don't ever have to pull their gun in whatever situations they're in. So it may be. I mean, she just answers with maybe, but she's also obviously nervous. So that's kind of left open because we know she was very good at what she did. Yes. Uh, but it might be just a different situation. As far as the parents, I think that was a continuity error, but because it was left where she didn't directly answer... Yeah, she's so coy in how she responds. I think they were able to play that later when they wanted to develop that further. We do see later on, when she invites Lassiter to her family's Christmas, there's a big family, and they have all these traditions, and it seems quite happy. Later on is where we learn that she has this dad who's been estranged. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it... It might be they've taken some liberties to kind of correct this, where maybe that's not a full accurate assessment by Sean, but because she didn't cut him off or directly answer, they can play it loosely and say she had good parents growing up, but it would be her mom and her her stepdad. That would make sense as well. And I think that's how they've kind of skirted it, by just going around it and ignoring it and letting the, the pattern develop. Because we know that when we first meet her dad, who's played by William Shatner, they play a flashback scene to one of her birthdays Birthday parties, that he doesn't yes. come back to. But obviously there's a healthy functioning family she's living in. That is very true. That's definitely what that flashback would indicate to me. And so I think that the fact that they didn't give a direct answer by her, yes, oh my gosh, my parents have been married for 30 years um, and it was totally happy growing up, uh, where they left it kind of vague where it could I be. I think she responded with, do we? Do I know you? Right, because enough of the pieces were fitting. Yes. 
but it could still be slightly off, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that leaves it open for them to be able to ma- have creative license to adjust the storyline later. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be a few things that I think in the beginning of series are always going to be kind of gotten wrong a little bit. Um, as that's a, just, that's a good point is because they're all trying to figure out who these characters are. Yeah. They're definitely still It's kind of like middle out. school where you're having to figure out who you are. Well, just not as painful. I mean, and in this scene, she was in middle school in eighth grade. Eighth grade, Jules Force. See, it all comes back around. It all oh. comes back around. <laughs> hey, Lizzie. Hey, Susie. I have a fun fact for you. Let's hear it. I wanted to kind of track the words in this episode because it's a spelling bee episode. Spelling so gaga. I'm sorry, spelling gaga episode. Thank you. Um, and I love words. They're just so fun to me. I love the nuance and the variance. There's so much that can happen by changing just one word in a sentence. Yeah. So that's why I kind of wanted to track. So I made a little list for you. Um, and there are 10 official spelling words in this episode. They yeah. include adjournamento, butyracious, assimilation, assimilation, dissimilitude, polka, illith, tatomerism, gladiolus, mastoparietal, and soubrette. Yeah. Sean has his own spelling, spelling g- 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 words. Thank you. You're welcome. They are banana, onion, and Mitchum. Mitchum is a deodorant, and he calls it, he says something like, when I go to the grocery store, I'm going to get ice blast Mitchum. Who wants ice blast in their armpits? <laughs> I'm like, my armpits are hurt just thinking about that. And then I made a little list of the words that Gus uses to prove his worthiness to the B. Simmies host. And they are misplaced malevolence, monotonous, inappropriate virulence, and preposterous. I mean, I think Sean's list, which is actually the Spellmaster's shopping list for <laughs> Albertsons, I think it's much more practical, right? Yes. I mean, it I is. would much rather have bananas to eat than be assimilated. I like to assimilate my bananas. So that I can get all of the potassium from them. Assimilate them into your body. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess so. But I, I love that Sean's list is the, the shopping is, list. Is the shopping list. So I'm going to say I looked up the words that I wasn't quite familiar with on this list. And I could not find illith anywhere. I don't think it's a real word. It's one of the words that's on the pamphlet. Um, when they're looking, when Sean and Gus are looking at the words, you see Illith. So I went back and rewatched the scene again, and I paused on it. Like, I got up close to the, to the screen and everything. And it, it does say Illith, I-L-L-I-T-H. But I don't think it's a real word. I am, I'm a little befuddled by this. I'm not familiar with it, but I also didn't do any Google searching. I Googled and Google didn't know Illith. The only reference I found was like in a baby name book. I was going to say, Illith sounds like my 90-year-old neighbor. It To it, me, it sounds like, like an old English, like somebody is Illith. We should take them some soupeth. <laughs> All right. Well, if you know uh, the meaning of Illith or you have any other great spelling words for us, why don't you let Susie know so she doesn't feel so lost <laughs> Um, and you can email us at susieandlizzie at gmail.com. That's Susie and Lizzie, S-U-S-I-E-A-N-D-L-I-Z-Z-I-E at gmail.com. 
we get a chance to see a lot more of Henry and Sean interacting together during this episode. Yeah. So I think we should chat about that for a few minutes. All right. Because in the at the end of the last episode, Henry just very bluntly says that he's not going to help Sean in this because he doesn't want to condone the lie that Sean is psychic. Right. We do see that in that last scene of the pilot. And I also think that maybe he doesn't want to help because he wants to see Sean do something on his own, maybe. Because that's also a strong theme in this episode between the two of them. Yeah, it is. And I see that too. But I also I also think it's interesting that Sean immediately goes to his dad for help, even though his dad said he wasn't going to help. It's like Sean still knows that that's the best place that's the best place to go for help. Yeah, and this is where we are probably going to see Henry's motivations play out because it probably is a little bit of both. He, he doesn't want to help because he doesn't want to condone the lie. He doesn't want to help because he wants to see Sean finish something on his own. Or maybe there's something even more going on. Yeah, a bigger dynamic. Right, because ultimately as human beings, we're much more complex than just having this very simple reasoning. As to why we do things. Yes, that's one of the things that I love about Psych is the characters. They seem like real people. They're not these caricatures that you so often see in other TV shows. They're they're, they're like full bodied. Yeah, they yeah. have they have dual motivations. They have they're they're holding all of these different things like real people do at the same time. Right. So this is I think the place where we really start to see this depth that's in Henry because he was only introduced to us in the pilot and mostly from Sean's perspective. But we really get to see more of who he is here. Um, and we know he doesn't want to participate in a ruse. We know he wants to see Sean finish something. And we also know he does love his son. Yes, very so much. So he might not even be fully aware of the reasons why he does certain things. He might be able to say one thing on the surface. But honestly, his responses are so natural that you can tell that there's a lot more going on deep and under the surface that are going to be shaped by his own experiences and years of that. Yeah. So... This is where we actually see Henry negotiate with Sean. Because right. Sean goes to him for help. Henry says, I'll help you if, if you complete a task. Yeah. In this moment, Sean says anything. And then Henry pulls out this unfinished doghouse from I don't even know how many years ago. And Sean seems immediately rejected. And, and maybe even seen like... Like still, he's like he's still that child. Like when his dad asked him to build the house, right? Because it's not just about doing it, but it's about doing it right. And that's something Sean feels like he can never live up to in his dad's eyes. And I mean, he's got this doghouse from so many years ago. It's like, why would his dad even be holding on to it? Is it to rub Sean's nose in the fact that he never finished something, or is it because he's secretly hoping that Sean will come back to this one day? It's a really bizarre kind of moment. And I can see where there could be a heavy misunderstanding between the two of them. Yeah, Sean feels like all his dad cares about are results. He even says so much to Gus when they're in the hospital right. after Sean gets run off the road. But then we turn around and we see this really beautiful scene where Henry offers to help Sean finish the doghouse. And we see, or at least I think... In that moment, we see that Henry really wants to be wanted by yeah, Sean. Because he actually says, well, you've never actually asked for help. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Or asked how in that way. Yes. Because my husband pointed out something I didn't even notice on the rewatch. And so we see that he wants Sean to go to him for help, for advice, for training. I think we also see in this moment that Sean feels like his dad 
doesn't want to be bothered by helping or advising or training. Like that Sean thinks that his dad's motivation is only for him to get it right, period. End of discussion. Right. It's like Henry's wanting to teach Sean what is right because he wants what is good for his son. But Sean misperceives this as meaning Henry only wants perfect results. And so, like, after his motorcycle gets run off the road, when they're in the hospital, like you said, Gus is encouraging Sean to let Henry know. Because, of course, he's his dad, right? His dad's going to want to know that he's okay. And yet, Sean just flat out says, no, he wouldn't care that he is only interested in those results. Uh Uh-huh. And so, they misunderstand each other so much, I think, because of their own brokenness and how they're filtering everything through their own hurts that come from those misunderstandings. But we get, we do begin to, like, I think, see glimpses uh, even in this very early episode of how there's still hope for them. Yes. Because like you said, when Henry offers to help him finish the doghouse, something is working between them and it does actually feel very unnatural. Sean even says, okay, this is weird. Uh, but there's like such a beautiful glimpse of hope for what could become in this relationship. So looping back to that moment now, when where Henry offers to help Sean, Sean says, you've never helped before. And Henry pl- replies, you never asked. And when I was re-watching this week with my husband, he pointed out that he's there because Sean went to him for help. Sean went to them to a- ask for help. And that's when he when he turned around and said, will you, will you build the doghouse? So there's definitely this dance between them. It's two steps forward, one step back. And it even feels like a couple side steps added in there too. But I still think I see the sweetness. Yeah. When we learned that Henry had the food tested, like there's, I, I, I think that's so sweet because he had it tested before Sean finished the doghouse. Right. I think, we, I think your husband was onto something there because I've always wondered when I've watched the show, well, obviously he has asked for help because he asked for help with the food poisoning. And even when he goes to ask for help for that testing, he says to Henry, you know, or he doesn't directly ask him, but Henry is like, what do you want? So there's like a pattern of Sean going only when he needs something, but it's almost like you get this sense that Sean only goes to his dad when he needs something, but he won't, still won't ask for the help. He's, it's like an expectation. You just do this and I'll, or I'll manipulate my way into getting yeah. this thing. And so it becomes this first time where you get that humility from Sean. Yeah. And I think that's what changes it. It's not that it's the first time he's gone to his dad, but it's the first time where he's gone and actually maybe said, I need help instead of, I expect you to do this. And that's possible, but like I said, it's this it's this dance between them where they're yeah. kind of like two steps forward and one step back because even in this moment, like you see that Sean is, he seems a little bit moved, like that his dad... He really is. His dad had the food tested before the doghouse was finished. Right. And Sean, he, he points that out and, and Henry immediately downplays it. Well, it was just easier to do it that way. Like... I don't know if that's just a guy thing. Like sometimes they're like they they kind of downplay anything that they do that, yeah. that feels well, significant be... emotionally. Like it, it feels kind of doofy to me. Yeah. But but that is how Henry plays it in this moment. Well, I mean, it really wouldn't be very authentic to Henry and who he is to just go all soft. Yeah. I mean, that's not that's not who he is. We know he hates all this sentimental stuff. I mean, he's still Henry, and he's got to have a comfort zone somewhere. Oh, let's not talk about comfort zones. <laughs> I'm going to be in real big trouble real quick. Yeah. Because we all feel compelled to stay true to who we really are, 
or even who we think we are. And, and so sometimes when we're getting pushed out of our comfort zone, it feels like we just cling to a comfort zone in another area even harder. Well, I mean, there is a reason why it's called a comfort zone. Because anything outside of that is uncomfortable, right? Uh, but that's when we see growth. It's when we step out of that that we get to see the growth. And so we get to start seeing it so early here in this first season. And that's so lovely. And so at Sweet House, Sean actually turns around and true to his own comfort zone, makes a joke of it. By bringing a neighbor's dog over to play a prank on dad. Oh, and Henry completely falls for it. I love that too. It's like <laughs> it's like they're acknowledging each other, but still from the confines of their comfort zone. So we see they've grown a little. So that little border of that zone has stretched just a little. I think that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. Like the border of the comfort zone just expanded. Yeah. Fun, fun, fun. Fact, fact, fact. Fun, fact. All right, Susie, in the, our last podcast, you mentioned how Psych becomes known for its references. 80s references. All kinds of references, really, right? <laughs> yes. Well, it also becomes known for homages to whole genres, TV series, movies, but it especially becomes known for its guest stars. Oh, so many guest stars. So many amazing guest stars. It's just amazing how many incredible people they were able to get on this show. Uh-huh. So in this episode, we have a very incredible person, Mr. Bud Collins. Now, Mr. Bud Collins is a sportscaster, so if you're not familiar too much with sports, you may not know him. But if you see his face or you hear his voice, chances are it will seem familiar to you because this man has had a career that has spanned decades upon decades. That's why he sounded so authentic in this episode. Right. He's just so respected in the field of journalism. And he started with tennis because tennis is one of those things that he actually played. He didn't think of himself as much of a player, even though he won a few championships. But he loved it so much. And he actually sports casts for Wimbledon. Oh, wow. Now he also sports casts for the dog show. Oh, too fun. Right? <laughs> so I think it's pretty amazing that he's willing not just to be on this fledgling cable TV show. Uh-huh. But to come on as himself and do what he does best, which is announce the great sport that is the B-Semis. Well, of course, Gus would think it would need a professional announcer. Well, and it did. Mr. Bud Collins appears as himself, fully decked out in his famous bow tie and colorful suit, which he's known for. These suits are custom made for him and were throughout all those years by the same tailor back in Massachusetts. And he's famous for him, so my guess is the tailor is now famous for them, too. Well, hopefully. Well, he also didn't have any scripted lines because he does what he does so well. The announcer who works with him, because you hear there's two announcers announcing, just told him what was happening and he just ran with it and announced as he normally would. It's betteracious, Bob. It, <laughs> it's all ad-libbed. That's incredible. Isn't it? This man is just so good at what he does. So he was unfortunately put into forced retirement a year after this episode aired when he was 76, 77. Wow. And it was unfortunate because nobody in the business wanted him to quit. And he didn't even, he wanted to keep going until he died. He loved his job so much. In fact, this was one of the great quotes that I found that he said about his life. When I realized what I had done, it was a dream come true. Oh, that is such a great quote. I love it. So, oh, it needs to be stitched on a pillow or something. I actually have it cross-stitched on a pillow for my couch. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> but it should be, right? It's, it should be. It's so aspirational. 
I mean, this is something we all want. We all we want to be able to look back at our lives and realize that we've done well with what we've had and we've done what we've loved to do. That it was a dream come true. And so unfortunately, we lost Mr. Collins back in 2016, but he left such a legacy for us. And it's so cool that we get a little bit of that incredible legacy on our little favorite show, Psych. Oh, Lizzie, this was such a fun, fun fact. Wasn't it great? I think we should talk about the bee. Yeah, tell me what the buzz is about the bee. <laughs> You're so corny. Yeah. It is almost its own character in this episode. Like, it even has nicknames, like the bee or bee simmies. Stop giving the spelling bee hip little nicknames. So we find out that Gus is completely obsessed with spelling bees at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. One of his many obsessive hobbies. I mean, it is weird. I mean, not that like Gus is obsessed because he has all kinds of strange fascinations, but it does show us just how dedicated to his hobbies he is. I mean, the fact that he remembers which words are like the winning words from what years, and he talks about different participants as if they're celebrities, that's... That's, um, interesting. Like, like Brendan Vu. You know, he came in second last year. <laughs> I, 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 and I also, I love the, the quip that Sean comes back with. Um, he says, Bandon Dunes. I looked that up and it's actually a real golf resort somewhere in like Northern California or Oregon. It's in Oregon. That's right. Yeah. So another reference that's being thrown in there just yeah. for fun. They, 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 the writers and their crazy trivia, it blows my mind. Yeah. So Sean's joke here is so Sean in that it's showing that like no one would know these details. Like, oh, exactly. Not in the same way Gus does. Uh, so Sean is really a master of replacing things that he thinks don't matter with pop culture references. Now, I don't know if the dunes are really that famous, but they are West Coast. And so who knows? They may actually be kind of known in Santa Barbara area. Yeah. So, it could be a reference that's like geographically thought of, but it's just, it's just one of those perfect little moments. It might've been one of his 57 jobs. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Sean worked there too at one point. Who knows? The list will forever grow, but I do want to get a little serious and say how this joke also brings me up to view a slightly bigger picture. Okay. Cause Gus is totally knowing all the names of the participants, right? Yes. So it is kind of weird. I think sometimes how people fangirl on children but I think what's cool here is like it's not so much uh, fangirling on the children but because Gus sees the bee as this huge thing so he's really just fangirling on the bee and so the kids are just athletes it's like it's the Olympics right uh, he's invested in it to the same degree that others would be in real life invested in the Olympics when you think of some of the great gymnasts yeah you that's, know that's a good point and so knowing the whole, the player, their whole backstory. And so it's like, it's cool to see how Gus's hobby has just like driven him in deep here with all of the minutia of the spelling bee. I think it would have been hard as when he was, if you're thinking back to when he was a middle schooler, if he thinks about it this way, because then it would have been it, when he was at the bee missing out on that, it would have been like missing out on like standing on the middle podium with the anthem playing and all of the flowers on the ground, you know, it would have, it was a big deal. It was a big deal to him. But I agree. It always does feel a little bit off when I see adults fangirling over kids. Just, so weird. Can we just let kids be kids? I think people actually need childhood to become functioning human adults. Right. But Sean actually does point this out to one of them too, which is really cool. 
Uh, yeah, kudos on the child rearing. Let me know how the therapy goes. I mean, exactly. How is it that, like, of all the parents in this episode, the most normal, or should I say the one that seems to be truly dedicated to the actual welfare of his child, is the murderer? I mean, sure, he teaches his son to cheat, and he himself is a killer, but I mean, like, out of all the parents, he seems the most genuine in his interactions with his son and the desires for a good future for him. I mean, that's messed up. Like, oh, therapy needed indeed. I agree. I agree. With, I mean, with our kids, we always wanted them to take the lead in their hobbies while they were growing up. Yeah. So, like, we felt like our part was making sure that they attended the lessons or they attended practice. And we always wanted to make sure that they had access to any equipment that they needed. Um, but we also really wanted our kids to have full, meaningful childhoods. So... I'm thinking of one of one of my sons when he was in high school. He wanted to become a competitive swimmer. He had been swimming for several years. Yeah. And he one of his goals was to make national times. But to make those goals, he was spending 20 sometimes more hours a week in the pool. And after I don't know several months of this, suddenly he became really okay with making state times with competing at a, at still at another level, higher than where he was, but it gave him energy to fuel other passions that he had as well and not just focus in on just the one thing. And you wanted to be able to foster that as well, right? Yes. Because there is this like delicate balance between encouraging and then pushing and then also realizing and recognizing if something is getting maybe a little too unhealthy. I think if reading a the dictionary 24 hours a day might be a little much. It might be something they enjoy, but there might need to be being also taught a better balance in life. Yeah, I'm, that's, I think that's kind of where I was thinking. Yeah, but you articulated it in much shorter than I did. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's an important part of parenting, right? Yes. Uh, but Which is what Sean was actually thinking back in the day when he sabotaged Gus's spelling bee, you know, to help him be cool. I mean, the difference is that Sean wasn't Gus's parent or, well, anyone's parent. He was just another middle schooler. Uh, Jornamento. Come on, everyone knows it was an I. <laughs> Gus is able to get some uh, great perspective, though, in hindsight, near the end of this episode. Well, I mean, at least until he learns it was intentional sabotage. Yeah, he's been mentally beating himself up over this losing the spelling bee for 20-something years, maybe? And now he finds out that he lost on purpose? <laughs> like... Childhood hobbies, they can be such an odd thing for us as adults. I don't think we really revisit our childhood hobbies very often, but we have a tendency to think that they're such a part of who we are while we're growing up. Well, like I said, it was practically the Olympics he missed out on. Oh, stop hating on the bee. <laughs> that is actually one of my all-time favorite psych quotes. But this episode has so many greats, so we're going to choose our favorites here in just a minute. But I did want to highlight two little things that kind of got me in this episode. Okie dokie. All right, the first one is we've seen how Gus is so psyched about the bee. He knows all the players. He knows all of the winning words, right? Yeah. He knows, like, all the details but when the minutia. they're the minutia, like I said earlier, right? So when they're up in the spellmaster's booth, one, he doesn't seem super psyched to be up there. And I get that maybe he's 
not wanting to be there because he's such a rule follower. Yeah, he's breaking the rules, so I think he's uncomfortable. Yeah, but I mean, he was like so excited about the comfort room. Yeah, he this was in is awe. Where they go, you would think that he'd have just a little bit of, whoa, this is where this spellmaster sits. So that kind of threw me. The other thing is, with all those details that he knows, it's Gus who says, when questioned with the number 1953, he's like, well, couldn't that be one of the rules? And it's Sean who's like, no, they don't do things like that. It seems like they've got those lines backwards. Yeah, I didn't notice that. Like it would seem... How did I miss that? Because their banter is so quick, you know, and they're just talking about the details. But it, to me, I was always like, it seems like Sean would have been the one. What's this number 153? Could that be one of the rules? And Gus would be the one to say, no, they don't do it like that. They don't that. remember him that way. So it seemed weird to me. So that might just be one of those little things that they're kind of working out being in a new show. Yeah, or maybe or maybe Sean did some background work so that he could know... I'm, I'm sorry, did you just say Sean did some work? Okay, I'm sorry. I take it back. <laughs> I, I take it back. I mean, he's had many jobs, but none of them have proven that he's actually done work. I, yeah, you might, you might be right. That was... Yeah, well, we all have our moments. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing that really got me, and maybe this is just me being aware or certain things I'm, I'm drawn to. But when Sean is building the doghouse and Henry's actually helping and he's actually, they're, they're working together. One of the things is Henry comes up on Sean and he says, Oh, you're going to run the roof beams vertical. And Sean's like, well, yeah, I was thinking, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing, but Henry offers to help. And he says, well, then I'll help you put a ridge beam in because then they can lay them vertically. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm someone who I love working with my hands and I love building things. So maybe that's why I notice. But then when you look at the completed doghouse, the roof beams are run horizontally. Oh, I didn't notice that one either. So I'm like, okay, it makes sense that halfway through they decided that would be a, a better way. But the fact that it was like commented on and then we're looking at a finished product that's so different than what they were working on together. I don't know. It was just one of those little things that got me. Maybe I'm just weird. Maybe. I think I think there's there's got to be a different explanation because you and I are definitely not weird. We might be a little psychological. Mostly psychological. We might be so psychological. <laughs> <laughs> but all right. So let's just skip forward and let's go ahead and talk about our favorite quotes. Like I said, stop hating on the bee is one of my all-time favorites, but there's one more I love just a little more. And it's one of my all-time favorite quotes of the series. It's mm-hmm. also in this episode. But I want to hear what your favorite quote is. Well, my favorite and probably the quote that I say the most often from the entire series run is from this episode. And it is, Anna Banana would like to listen to Venus by Banana Rama. Banana. <laughs> oh my goodness. Because I was just talking about how one of my all-time favorites is from this episode. Uh-huh. And it's in that very same section. It's the line that directly precedes it. It's when he gives banana as a spelling word and they ask for a definition. And Sean comes back and he says, a yellow fruit, also a kind of pudding, a delicious pudding. Like it's nearly impossible for me not to say that when someone mentions bananas. Like <laughs> just it's just the way he says pudding. When somebody mentions wanting bananas or something, I'll, I just want to say... A kind of fruit. Also, a pudding. A delicious pudding. And I think that's 
very much the same with my uh, Anna, Anna Banana would like to listen to Venus by Bananarama. Banana. <laughs> is because I uh, I taught in a in a very small setting. Yeah. But one of my students' name was Anne. And that's what I would call her was the the full quote. Anna Banana would like to listen to Venus <laughs> by Bananarama. Banana. So oh she's like in fifth grade and knows this quote, has no idea where it's from. But that's, she knows that that's what I call her anytime we're out of the classroom setting. So, uh, yeah. Well. The, these, these quotes, they just seep into our lives, it seems like. But what's funny is I just realized that the second time I said it, I flipped some of the words. Which, because I'm a quote paraphraser. <laughs> it's like my fatal flaw. <laughs> I can't escape it no matter what I do. But I will also say... Uh, that there are some other quotes that have seeped into our lives from this episode because it is one of my favorite episodes. One of my mine as well. I also have to throw it in there. I love it when Gus says, "Don't be preposterous." Like I turn I turn into middle school Susie, like eighth grade Susie voice. <laughs> oh, that sounds interesting and maybe a little dangerous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks, Lizzie. <laughs> Let's go go eat your pudding. 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 A delicious pudding. 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 <laughs> okay. Thanks for joining us, guys. All right. Be sure to stay tuned to our aftercast. We've got some fun things <laughs> to talk about in relation to spelling Gagabi. We'll see you again. Bye. This has been so psychological. You've heard it both ways. I hear that. Mm-hmm.